Today I'm reading from Luke 2, verses 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then uh, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the failing and the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning to all. My name is Jose Bortillo, and like you heard, I am a pastoral intern here at Christ Central, and today is my first time preaching with you, and I am very excited because, you know, God's word says where two or three are gathering his name, he is there. So I'm thankful that today we are here, his people, and his word, and his spirit will speak to us. So let us prepare our hearts to do that. I would like to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're in this place. Thank you that you speak tidings to us today. Thank you because you are calling us to worship you. You're calling us to be part of your people. You're calling us to enjoy Christ. You're calling us to be those who know you face to face. So as we are here, O oh Lord, however we are, regardless of where we are in our present circumstances, would you come, O oh Lord? Would you bring comfort to your people? Would you prepare our hearts to hear your word? Because your word is powerful, and your word has the power to transform our lives, to bring life, to bring renewal, to bring glory to your name through us. So be with us today as we hear your word in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have been hearing the words of the season. We heard the first word was joy two Sundays ago, and then the other word was peace. Today, my word of the season is the word Mary, M-E-R-R-Y. Mary as in Merry Christmas to you, or have a merry time, or let your heart be merry. But before we go to our text today, let us think about this word for a little bit. You know, when we hear this word in our society, we hear people begin to tell us what we should do. We, hear, we read all these cards, it says, be merry. We hear the song that we all know, and it says, have yourself a merry little Christmas. We hear this song, and it's telling you what we, what we need to do. 
uh, postcards and posters all around when we go shopping. It says, let your heart be merry. But a good question as we start our uh, conversation about God's word is, can you make yourself merry? Can you bring your heart to a position that you can say, you know what? I want to make myself merry during this season. I want to encourage myself to be happy. That is a good question that we need to take today. Can you make yourself merry? Can you work in your heart to let this happiness portrayed in the lights, in the colors, in the jingles come and take over you? And that is what we're going to be looking at this text to find out. Can you do this? Do you have human power to do this? If this human ability to make ourselves merry were true, why are many of us today here in this place feeling right now stressed or anxious about Christmas? Maybe your shopping is still not done or completed, so you're stressed out. But the question is, if you're hearing all around that you should make yourself merry at this moment in life, why are you experiencing stress? Why are you asking in community groups for people to pray? Just pray that this time will not be stressful. I'll just spend time with the people I love, but apparently they're going to stress me out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very interesting. When we begin thinking about the prayers that we're asking for this, during this season, we're not asking, you know what, I want to let this joy that is in my heart and this cheerfulness that I am experiencing shine out of my life and contaminate my family so that we can have a joyous time. We are more concerned with, will I have the right gifts? Will I have to spend and deal with these people in this family? We will have to eat this over again, same time this year, when they know that they don't know how to cook. <laughs> how do we make ourselves merry? And that is a, a question that we need to ask this morning. Because all these signs tell us that we need to make ourselves merry. But in a way, we tend to believe what the environment is telling us about this world. These words are contaminated, and sometimes God wants us to be merry. But sometimes we listen to the environment around us, and we want to use that definition of what that word should mean to us. When we hear Merry Christmas, we do not feel, I need to be joyous. I need to find happiness in my life. I need to be so cheerful that the next person next to me cannot stop but laughing. And uh, that's what we should have. Maybe during this Christmas season, you are taking the attitude of Charles Dickens' Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, Ebenezer said, when thinking about others, he said, Merry Christmas? What right have you to be merry, he said. What reason have you to be merry? You're poor. What's Christmas time to you but a time of paying bills without money, he said. A time for finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer. A time for balancing your books and having every time item in them for the last dozen of months show that you're only but broke. We could take that attitude and say, you know what, this whole year has not been pleasant, so I'm not going to even attempt to make anybody else around me marry. Or we could take the attitude of Scrooge for himself. He said, I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, he said, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to be idle and make idle people be merry. In a few words, our environment sometimes tries to uh, dictate what these great words should mean to us. In this case of the word merry, sometimes it gets lost in the weight of the material things around us. 
So we forget what God is trying to accomplish in our hearts. We can enjoy a great music and worship to God, and we begin to feel this amazing joy in our hearts. But the moment that the music stops, we forget to call our souls and our spirits to follow in that direction of joy, in that direction of the spirit that God desires to build in us. What does the word merry mean? If we just go to the dictionary, a merry person is someone that is cheerful, is in high spirits, someone that expresses brightness and lightheartedness, someone who is lively and happy, someone that expresses gladness for the life they have. And when he's in a group or she's in a group, he begins to create a festivity. He begins to create a joyous occasion and begins to bring smiles to others around him. Yet according to the word in the world that we are around and live in, this attitude of being this happy of a person can be yours if you only but do it. The world says that if you change your present circumstances, then you can be happier. If you change your present circumstances, then you can change your future. So they say that if you change your present, then you can have a better opportunity to enjoy a merry life. They say, just do it. Just be happier. But the reality is that, can you make yourself happier? And if you could, why are you not happier at this time of the year? On the contrary, when we go to our text, there's three things that we will learn about being merry, about being happy, about being cheerful. And the first one is that being married is not defined by your present condition or your present situation. Number two, we will learn that being married is not determined by what you think of your future, of how you think things are going to play out. But rather, number three, being married is founded on the past reality that builds hope for the future. And that's what we will see in this text. So let us look at the first point. Being married is not defined by your present condition. This means that your attitude of being married, of being happy, of being cheerful, of finding joys, of being able to rejoice yourself, it can't be based on how you look at your world in the present instance. It is not based on what you are currently experiencing. Luke 2, 25 and 26 says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. Let us think about this verse. Being happy is not about what is going on right now in your life. It's not about your present condition. We are not called to base our cheerfulness or happiness in the circumstances that surround your present life. And that is a hard thing to, to see because I could ask many of you and you could give me a list of all the things that are not going right in your life that should be stopping you from enjoying happiness in your hearts. But we are not called to stand in our cheerfulness or our happiness to come out of that. So let us look at the present circumstances of the people that we just read in the text. Let us look at the life of Simeon. It says that Simeon, if we look at his life for a moment in the text, we see he's an older man. He knows that his life is about to end. He's almost eh, to the point of death because of his age. He has been waiting for a lifetime to receive consolation. He has been living in grief together with the people of Israel. He says, I've been waiting. 
Now I've been waiting and standing on that promise that said that I would not die until I heard the good news. We see that even though his life was about to come to an end, you know, in age speaking, there he is called, regardless of his circumstances, to have hope and to have an expectation that God is going to move on his behalf. And it has been told to him that he would have the privilege to see the coming of the Christ. And as we saw in the text, he had that opportunity. He was able to behold the future Savior. His present condition should not have determined his joy and happiness. And you see it in this case. He was about to die, and all of a sudden he's expressing joy and happiness that the promises that God had for him were coming true. Verse 29 says, Lord, now, do you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory, and for the glory to your people Israel. If we were just to determine Simeon's happiness based on his circumstances, he would not be happy. What about Anna the prophetess? Is the last verses that we read today. When you look at her present circumstances, we discover that she had lived a hard life. The text says that she got married. She, and seven years later, her husband passed away. And some version says that for 86 years, this woman was a widow in the church. And the only place that she had was to come to church and to come and pray and fast and worship God. For 86 years, this woman lived by herself, only finding one reality, finding and making that verse that the Bible says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. She had found something. Her reality of becoming a widow, of losing her family, of being alone, did not change the reality that God wanted her to experience joy and experience a new life. So present circumstances in Anna's life show us and call us and want to Show us that and want to call us to put our lives and think about our present circumstances and what God is calling us to experience. And if we think about Mary, just one chapter before, what circumstances did Mary experience when she was told? A chapter before, she's engaged and she's told by an angel, by the way, you have been chosen and you will be pregnant without your future husband. You will be a teenager that is pregnant before marriage. What do you think about this? Her circumstances would have shocked anybody in this world. She's been called to do something that is completely uncomprehensible to anybody. But her reaction, like the pastor mentioned in the Magnificent, she begins to glorify God. She doesn't see... We see it when, when we read this. We see that she is recognizing that her weakness, that her frailty, that... Her circumstances should not have made her to be the chosen one, but God chose her regardless of her circumstances. What about Joseph? If we think about Joseph in the previous chapter, verse 1, he's told that his bride-to-be was going to be pregnant with a baby that is not his own. Think about this. That is a, that is a shock to any, any man that is desiring to marry. But the Lord shows him that he has a plan for their lives. When we read this text, it says that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. But do you notice that it says that 
they were able to buy two turtle doves as a sacrifice. The Bible says that they were not even able to afford the right sacrifice for presenting the firstborn son, which is the lamb, but they were poor. They were poor in their condition where God was calling them to be was a condition of poverty. And they had to receive the Lord in that poverty. And God chooses them. God begins to speak to their lives and tell them, hey, you need to rejoice that the Savior is going to be born in your midst, regardless of your present circumstances. I wonder what circumstances are here present in your life that seem impossible for you to be married. The great news about God's word is that it shows us that being married is not about or defined by your present condition. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have these as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Your present circumstances are not that steadfast anchor for your soul and for your life. But God has provided a sure and steadfast anchor for your whole life. And he is calling you, regardless of where you are in your circumstance, to look for that anchor, to make sure that you take hold of that anchor and you find your joy and you find the life for your soul in that place. How can you be cheerful in your present circumstances? You have to look away from your circumstances and look to God and to look to Christ and to look to the anchor that will satisfy your soul. Just so just as being married is not defined by your present condition, we can continue in the text. Being married is not determined by what you think your future holds or even what you know your future holds. So even here as the future lies before you, you know, everybody's beginning to see Christmas and everybody's beginning to think about 2017. And I don't know what circumstances are all around in your life for the next year, you might begin to see all these circumstances and begin to wonder and begin to wonder how are you going to be happy when the future seems this way. Verse 26, talking about Simeon, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. Verse 34 says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through you your own soul also, so that through many, so that through from many hearts may be, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In this section, I want to show you how our reason for happiness and cheerfulness and having the opportunity to enjoy a happy life is not about the circumstances that might follow after today or the circumstances that you are seeing that are coming head on. You know, if we look at the life of Simeon, he was, he's been waiting all his life for salvation, for restoration. He's been waiting to walk away from grief and receive consolation and receive comfort to his soul. But he knows he's about to die. That is a heavy thing to recognize that the end of your life is before you. And he is called to worship God. He is called to be happy. He is called to find joy in something greater than his own death. Simeon told Mary, a sword will pierce your hearts. And Mary here is being called to worship God and understand that the salvation of God has come to redeem her, to save her. That the salvation for the people, the Gentiles and Israel is coming but she is told, by the way, 
you're going to feel that your life is going to be like a sword going through your heart as you see the ministry of your son. Think about it. The future that is laid before them is not called to determine their joy in their hearts. Mary and Joseph are told that Jesus, as they see their son begin to grow, everybody is going to oppose their son. What does that tell you? The future that you see with your own eyes is not to determine how happy and joyful you are. What about when we look at your life right now? What is it in your future? What do you see? What struggles do you have? Is it health? Is it finances? Is there a prognosis of sickness that you cannot bear because it has been delivered to you? Are you concerned about the drying up of all the resources and income for the future? Are you ending this year with the loss of a family? All these questions should are so important because they define your life, but God is calling you to look above them. God is calling you to a higher view of who he is. Sometimes C.S. Lewis says that the problem is not that we love something so much, that we love our family so much or our individual so much or our material things so much. He says the problem is that we do not love God enough because we are called to understand that all the great things that are before us, we are to love them. But we can only understand them when we have the right love in the first place. I can love my wife with, with all my heart, but if I don't love God in the most, in the highest degree, my, lo my love for my wife can become idolatrous. So what about our life? What about our finances? What about our health? God is calling us to not see our present future to determine how happy we are. I know that the foreseeable future makes it seem impossible to have reasons to be merry and hope. Yet the great news is that God's word shows us that being merry is not even determined by what you think your future holds or even what you know your future holds. That's why I love Psalm 23. And I would like to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about it. In this psalm, we are being called not to look at our present, not to look at our foreseeable future. We are called to trust in the Lord, even when enemies are being sitting down in our own table. We are called to trust God, that he will provide, that he will prepare, that he will anoint, and that surely Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days. Your happiness in having a merry life is not determined by what you think your future holds. Or even what you know your future holds. But rather, God's word shows us that being married is founded on a past reality. A past reality that has future hope, and future consequences for our life. A happy life and a cheerful life, a merry heart, can be only obtained when we look past 
when we look to the past, to that which guarantees our security in our future. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 38 it says, And coming up that very hour, talking about Anna the prophetess, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. When we look at the life of Simeon, his cheerfulness and merry heart did not come from his present condition, but it came because he, his eyes could see with hope and trust in the promises of the past, but rather he held fast to what he remembered. Verse 25 says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The prophet Isaiah had spoken about the desire of God's people for comfort and peace. They were seeking and desiring for comfort. So we see the hearts in the heart of Simeon, the prophet Isaiah is speaking. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Isaiah knew that God desired to comfort his people. Chapter 49, 13 of Isaiah says, Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on the afflicted ones. There was a sense in the heart of Simeon. There was a sense in the heart of Anna, the prophetess, that God was going to work, that God was going to show up. So they were not looking at their present life. They were not looking at the present future with their own eyes, but they were trusting in a promise, in a reality that was becoming true. They were seeing a baby. They were seeing just a baby that, was, that had come into this earth to provide that consolation and comfort to them. Isaiah 51, 3 says, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion at all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Edom, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. It's interesting that this verse says that deserts and desolate places, that you will find song of thanksgiving in that place. How can you find in a desert a song of thanksgiving? And God is calling people here in this place today, regardless of where you are, regardless of how dry your spirit might feel, God is calling you to enjoy a life of joyful thanksgiving to Him because His joy comes in the morning. That's what the verse says. Isaiah 57, 18 says, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners. You know, regardless of where you are, the Lord speaks through his word. For Simeon and for Anna, these had been words of prophecy, words proclaimed hundreds of years ago. But for us today, they are not promises anymore, but they are realities because Christ came to this world. That's why we sing tidings of comfort and joy because the Lord is come. The Lord is with us. Simeon was a man full of the Spirit of God. And as he rested on those past promises and declarations that God's faithfulness was going to come, he waited on the Lord. He didn't see his presence. He knew that he was going to die, but he waited on the Lord. And the Lord allowed him to see with his eyes and behold, the Christ, the Son, had come. Simeon was not just waiting to see what he would get under a tree. That was not his expectation. A gift was not going to satisfy him. 
And sometimes during these seasons, of course, we're excited about presents. We're excited about what will I get? But immediately, we have to wonder why when we open these presents, immediately sometimes we are joyful for a second and immediately that goes away. What is our soul longing for? What is our heart desiring? Our heart is actually desiring true joy, true cheerfulness, true merriness in our hearts. Simeon had full expectations that God would bring restoration not only to his life, not only to his family's life, not only to his community's life, not only to the people's life around him, but to the whole world. In verses 29 to 32, we see that he knew that Jesus is the salvation that was promised as he lifted the baby, a salvation that had been prepared since the fall of the garden. His heart was ready and waiting for the Lord. This salvation is the light, the verse says, of revelation to the people that didn't even know about Jesus. You know, the people of Israel were waiting for a Messiah. So the Bible says that to them it was glorious because finally that promise that was becoming true was being manifested in their midst. But to the people who didn't know him was the light of salvation. So people that were not expecting all of the so-and-so a great light, and in Christ they could obtain that joy in and thankfulness to God. Simeon saw that. And that's what his heart was desiring. And for Simeon and Anna, being married was founded on that past promise that had become a reality right there in their sights. Their joy could be secure. Their joy could be true. And they could have hope in their lives because Christ was present. Yet for us, our happiness comes not only from a past reality, but from a reality that Christ came. The people of Israel were waiting for God's salvation to come. They wanted and needed God to provide them with comfort and consolation. That's why Simeon could see the end of his life with a merry heart, even though he said, now I can depart, Lord. Now you can take my life because I have seen Christ. And that's how Anna in the temple could come for 86 years to worship God and to expect to hear from him. He could worship and praise him, knowing that one day, one day the Lord was going to answer her call. So she stood firm in the promises that God had given her long ago, which are now true and fulfilled for us. That is the great news about the message of the gospel. That is the great news for us that are called to be married, to have a cheerful and happy life. For us to have a merry life, we don't need to wait for God's promises to come, because Christ is here. For Christ has come. Your joy and happiness can be secured if you belong to Christ and if you make him your king. Do you want to be happy? Do you truly desire happiness in your heart? Do you truly desire to be able to make your family happy? It needs to start with you inviting Christ into your heart. His light, his life has to come your own. It has to become your own. Then you'll be able to bring life and light to others. If you are not the carrier of life of Christ to wherever you go, who is going to take that light? Who is going to bring that joy and happiness to others around you? Do you desire your families to know more about God? Then make sure that you seek the happiness and the joy and the cheerfulness that only God can bring so that they will see and God will and believe. Your cheerfulness does not have to come from yourself. You don't have to make yourself merry or have to have a self 
a small Merry Christmas. You can actually rest in the assurance that no matter your present, that no matter how your future is looking like, Christ has come. And his work of redemption here on earth on your behalf guarantees your future. Being Mary is about a matter of holding fast. You need to hold on to the reality of who Christ is. Because when you are holding on to him, your life will be secured and anchored with hope and joy. So let us follow the example also of Anna the prophetess, who found her cheerfulness and happiness and delight in God. So what does the Bible say? That she celebrated those past promises. And she took that opportunity of celebration, of knowing who Christ was for her. And the Bible says that she began to share those good news of salvation to everyone who desired comfort. You know, if you are ending this year, if you're coming to this holiday season with joy and happiness in your hearts, the best thing that you can do is to share Christ with anybody else that is not enjoying the same. You know, in conclusion, the current point, wherever you are right now, should not determine how joy, how happiness, how a merry heart fills your life. We spoke about happiness today in merry hearts. We spoke about peace and joy in the last two Sundays. Your present condition does not determine how happy you should be. Your future condition should not determine how happy you should be. The work of Christ on your behalf is the only thing that you should be thinking of and apprehending of when you begin to doubt where you are standing. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. We are not called to be encouraged. We are called to be encouraged and to grow in cheerfulness and to grow in happiness and allow Christ to come into our hearts and let his shine, light shine brighter and brighter. Let us like Simeon rejoice and become cheerful because the Lord has seen the affliction of our people. Let us become merry because the Lord has come. Let us become merry because he has heard our cries. Let us become merry because the Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will answer you. Let us, call, let us be merry because if you call upon the name of the Lord today, you can be saved. Let us be merry that even though all the presents and the food and the time with the family and music and colors and the tiny, are only tiny glimpses of all the blessings that the Lord wants to give you, be merry that when you read Genesis 1, it says that there was chaos, but the Holy Spirit was there. He was hovering. So be merry today that if there is chaos in your life, the Lord is present, that he wants to work in your life, that if you invite him and if you let him in, he will bring joy and renewal of your life. Be merry today. The Lord is present. And he wants to bring renewal to your life, transformation, a new life. And he wants to make all things new. I would like to close today with a verse from Isaiah 9:6. How can you let your heart be merry? Listen to this text and let it sink in your hearts. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. He came for you. He, has, he was given for you. He sustains all things for you. He is the wonderful counselor that you need. He is the mighty God and the only God that can transform your life. He is your everlasting father. All you have to do is call upon his name. And he will be your prince and fill your life with peace if you find your merry life in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true that you're powerful enough to transform our current circumstances and make all things new. So would you come, O Lord, with your word? Would you come, O Lord, and let your word go with us and transform us and bring us life and bring us transformation, that as we go out this week in preparing for Christmas, we will find cheerfulness and happiness and joy that comes because we know that our future is guaranteed in our future is established because of the reality of the work of Christ in the past. Let our hearts be filled with joy and rejoicing because we belong to you and you belong to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.